you will turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 10, that's where we'll have our passage from this morning. 1 Samuel 10, verses 17 through 27. And here we have the actual ceremony where they anoint Saul as king. They proclaim him as king, but only after they have to find him. And so we'll uh, talk more about that, but let's go to the Lord now and ask for his help with the text. Lord Jesus, as we come to this text, help us to remember that this is about you. Um, we are constantly, this time of year, bombarded with messages about you. And help us to stick to the scriptures when it comes to truth concerning who you are and what you've done for us, what you're doing for us. Uh, help us to not be deluded by the world's version of you or by our own version of you, but only sticking to the scriptures. And even as we see you here back in 1 Samuel chapter 10, and we see these pictures of you, we, thank, we are thankful that in reality you sit next to the Father, interceding right now even on our behalf. And so go before now for your people. Help us with this word. Help us to understand it, that we might be changed, that we may be more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I read through this passage, it reminded me a lot of myself, actually, in that I regularly lose things. We just had a, an incident where I lost my keys recently, and that was a lot of fun. Um, it was one of those things where I thought I would outgrow them, like outgrow it as I got older. Maybe I'm just not good at keeping up with things as a kid. Maybe as an adult, I'll get better. No, not really. I still lose things. I actually like won't let my students hand things to me directly. I only take things up in groups because I figure I can't lose a whole group of papers. I can only lose them like one at a time. So I, I don't let them hand things in to me. I'm careful to always place things in groups so I, cause of, because I have a tendency to like string things out, especially at school. It's horrible. Uh, thankfully, you guys don't see my desk on a regular basis. It's pretty bad. Um, and I've always been thankful for having people in my life that kind of help me remember where things are. Of course, my mom would do that when I was a kid. She seemed to have an internal map of every single object inside of our house. And she could just tell me where anything was at a moment's notice, which was fascinating to me. And now, like, Emily and the kids kind of act collectively in that role, because I think all of us need a little help from time to time. Uh, but I lose things, and it's always good to have someone near who can find things. And so in our story today, the people of Israel have come together to select their king and then proclaim him as such. Remember, they were wanting a king. Oh, here it is. It's time to find one. And of course, we know, because of last week, that this selection has already taken place. But so the people could have a hand in it, we had this selection ceremony. And where is Saul? Well, for some reason, he hides, and the people of Israel need help finding him. And after demanding a king and being warned of the repercussions of such, they still wanted him, and now... They can't find him. It's kind of an ironic turn of events. And I think it's like us, too, in a lot of ways, to be demanding of the Lord 
at least in our attitude, our motivations a lot of times, if not with our words, and then need his help to find the thing that he's given us. Why? Well, ultimately, we need a Savior. And so one thing about this time of year with Christmas, I think, is a few things are heightened in people. We've already alluded to that in our prayers this morning for the world, is the despair that the world feels during this time. And not just the world, but Christians. We we all kind of feel a little despair of loss and different things that go by because it reminds us of people we love this time of year. And so also another thing is it reminds us of our need to have others come alongside us and those other people who are fearing despair or having despair and walk with them. And so I think, too, then our opportunity as Christians increases and to tell them about their Savior and the Savior that they need. And the story today really heightens, I think, our own struggle in our own faith as well as the struggle of the unbeliever in the lost world. And so with that, we'll consider three main ideas in the text, an unnecessary king, a lost king, and a despised king. And so with that, we'll look at the text. Let's please stand together as we read from God's Word. 1 Samuel chapter 10, starting at verse 17 and going through the end of the chapter, verse 27. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. And when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Amen. This is God's word. Have a seat. So, a little background on our text first. Remember, last week, Paul or Saul was told that he was going to be king, but he had not yet been selected by the people. The people really didn't know who he was or that he was supposed to be king. And so, I think this ceremony 
for us serves as a way to kind of bring the people along, as it were, on this decision. Not as though he needed permission or he needed to be informed, speaking of God. God didn't need the people's permission. He doesn't need to be informed or anything of the such. But I think this is a good way for the people to take ownership over this decision, both in this temporary salvation that the king is going to bring them, you know, he's going to bring them this temporary deliverance over their enemies, but also in the hardship that he is likely to bring along with him as well, for them to take some ownership over that. And this isn't uncommon at all in like business and politics where a decision is made from the leadership and the people are kind of brought along in such a way as to bring them some ownership over the decision. It's fairly normal, helping them to see the benefits of the decision, ultimately bringing the whole company under kind of this, or the whole group, whatever it is, under this decision. So not just the few leaders who are dreaming all this up or about it, but everybody kind of owns the decision. And so even though the people knew they wanted a king, the Lord selected one for them, and now he has to kind of bring them along on this decision. And he does so by casting lots. We hear this a lot in Scripture, this idea of casting lots, and the it's kind of a random thing. We really don't know what casting lots is. Uh, there's some that say it's kind of what we would think of as like, rolling dice or something like that. Maybe they had some sticks or who knows what, drawing straws. But it was supposed to be a random process, right, as much as random is a thing. Well, Proverbs 16.33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so it's a reminder for us that there is no random The Lord decides everything. He is sovereign over all things, even the roll of the dice or the cast of the lot, so to speak. And so the people have a seemingly random process in front of them, but the Lord is in control of this process. And so with that, let's look at the first point, the unnecessary king. And so I think this first section that where Samuel is addressing the people is to to re- remind them what the Lord has done for them. All right, He's kind of bringing them along so that they can understand where they've been. This is where you've been. So look at verse 18. He said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, the hand of all the kingdoms who were oppressing you. Who is the real champion of Israel? The Lord God. He is the champion of Israel. Remember, look at the reading that we had from Exodus 15 this morning. This is the, this is what they sang after the Red Sea collapsed on the army of the Egyptians. This was their victory song. The Lord is mighty in battle. He is our champion. They quickly forgot that he was the champion, I think. They've forgotten. They're seeking a human champion now. And so now look at verse 19. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all of your calamities, all of your distresses, 
and you have said to him, set a king over us. So here we have Israel. They've been saved from all these calamities, all of these distresses. If they forget, they've been written down. Moses wrote them all down so that they would remember the Lord saves them. He is the one that is mighty in battle. He is the one that has continually saved them over and over again. And now they reject that Savior and say, we want a king. We want a human king, even though he's going to cause them distress and calamities. They want this earthly king. And this earthly king is unnecessary. It's completely inadequate. This is ultimately why any earthly king is inadequate. It doesn't mean that the Lord can't use them. Note that the Lord can use anybody he wants to. He uses Saul, but they aren't him. They can't save us. They can only create bad things for us. They are ultimately incapable of the kind of redemption that we demand from them, that we require from them. They can't save us like we want them to. You know, they're, they're, they're not capable of it. This current political situation in our country is very much indicative of this. You have a group of people that is convinced that the president-elect is going to save them and deliver them from all of their woes. And you have another group of people that is convinced that he is completely incapable, that we elected the wrong savior, their savior was better. And their savior is not Jesus either. And so we have that idea. And I think we could really think of a lot more of this kind of same idea, right? We've discussed this idea a lot before. But we, like Israel, need a reminder, too, that when we demand someone other than Jesus, what are we asking for? Second best. Whereas second place is infinitely less able than first place. Jesus, our Redeemer, he is our Redeemer, and anything or anyone else is nothing and no one. Jesus alone is adequate for the task. And how do we know this? Well, we see these constant pictures of him from the Old Testament. The people have seen him too, right? He was the Passover lamb in Exodus 12. He protected Israel from the angel of death the night before the people of God left Egypt. He was this pillar of fire and cloud by day and by night. He was the rock from which the water poured forth in the desert. He was always with his people. And now he's the sacrificed and risen lamb for us. He is our savior and the savior of all people who call upon his name and receive his salvation. Any other salvation is completely inadequate. And these words from Samuel are a reminder to the people. You have rejected your Lord, and you have said, set a king over us, even though your Lord has demonstrate that he, demonstrated that he is your Savior over and over again. So, let's go through the process. And that brings us to the next point, a lost king. So I love this selection process. You see this several times in Scripture, I think, where you have this casting of lots and some different <clears throat> things going on. I love rolling dice, so this is always fascinating to me. And so, again, this process is showing God's selection. It's a seemingly random process to the people. Casting lots to show God's hand in the process. 
but also to give the people something they could grab a hold of. All right, they would have been used to something like this. This, again, wasn't an un, completely unknown process in Scripture to kind of make these decisions. So they get all the way down to an individual man by having all Israel and then picking one tribe, Benjamin, and then from Benjamin picking one clan, and then from that clan they pick a family, and then a man, and that man happens to be Saul. And they say, okay, Saul, it's time to come show yourself. The tallest, most handsome man in Israel is missing. He's gone. You can imagine, like, if they had, like, the Hebrew paparazzi back then, it would have been all over the news. The important stuff wouldn't have been shown, but we would have found out that Saul, the most handsome man, was missing. He was, they're unable to find him. And I love this, verse 22. They, they like, get down to Saul. And so they inquired of the Lord again. Is there a man still yet to come? Like maybe the Lord is like holding out on us here. Is he gonna? I mean, what's going on? Are we still uh, waiting on this guy to come? There's kind of this tension building up. It's almost like the you know the commercial break or something. It would have been really cool, right? If they couldn't find him, and then somehow he like like rode over the hill, like crested the top of the the desert hill in a chariot, and he had all of his nice armor polished. And his, like, hair was blowing in the wind a little bit. And, uh, you know, that would have been just awesome. And he had his sword and it was like a glimmer. And there was this really cool music in the background. I mean, I've seen some of these movies, right? We all have. But that's not what happened. It would have been really nice to have that hero moment, right? Here's the king riding in and his, his wind is, or his hair is flowing. He's got this really long blonde hair. The only Israelite to have blonde hair. But he has it anyway. All right. But instead, what do we get? We get this very anti-hero moment, right? Um, he's hiding in the baggage. I love that. Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. <laughs> kind of weird. Sounds like something a kid would do, like hiding in the uh, clothes at Walmart or something. Not that I've ever done that. All right, so was Saul afraid? Was he humble? You read all, all these different uh, commentaries on stuff. We aren't told why he was hiding, so we don't need to read too much into it. We have to be careful there, especially because Saul isn't the object of our lesson at all. But Saul did hide, and for whatever reason, they had to go find him. But I think we need to pay attention to what the people did. They go through this process. They demand a king. We want a king, God. We don't care that you're able to save us and turn the whole Nile River to blood and cause the Red Sea to crash down on the biggest army in the world. We don't care about any of those things. We want a man to, to rule over us. And God, where is our king? I mean, is, is there still someone to, to come? Where is he? There's, you can kind of get this whininess from the Israelites as they go find their Handsome man hidden in the bags. All right? It's kind of interesting. I think it looks a lot like us sometimes. These people who aren't big enough, who are, are no, who are big enough, excuse me, to want a king like the other nations, isn't really big enough to find him without the help of their God, of their Savior. Who can, who find a hiding king who can find a hiding king, God can, just like he can find a husband 
and wife who are in the cool garden morning in Eden who were hiding. There is no hiding from God. But also notice, there is no escape from the need of God in our lives. We will always need a Savior, even when we are appointing some sort of false Savior over our lives. We will need the real one to hold us up and to give us the power to bow down to this new idol that we've made. For Israel, it's this man named Saul. For us, it's whatever else. Samuel says, Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people after they had to drag him out of the baggage. I love how after right after they drug him out of the baggage, it reminds us that he was the tallest person in Israel. Um, again, he was hiding for whatever reason. And what do they shout after they drug him out of hiding? Long live the king. It's, it's almost like a comic book. All right? It reminds me of this story that I watched. There's a really good documentary, and I recommend you all watch it on North Korea. It's, in, uh, it's on Netflix. And they kind of went behind the scenes in North Korea. And at one point in the documentary, they uh, had some doctors who were from other places in the world. And these doctors were brought in. These were like uh, ophthalmologists. They were brought in to heal this common ailment, this eye, this eye disease or something that was causing the people to not see or to not be able to see very well at all. And the doctors would come in with some simple treatment. And a few days later, the people would be able to see, just like you and I see. And what was incredible to me, they had this, it was like this room full of these people being healed. And these doctors, I mean, it was kind of a makeshift little hospital of sorts. And as soon as they were healed, as soon as they were healed, they would run to the picture of their dear leader, who at the time was Kim Jong-il. And they would run up to the picture and they would praise the picture of their dear leader and thank him for bringing healing to them. Even though there was the doctor in the room that had just done that to their eyes by using a simple treatment that we would all take for granted. Did they give the doctor any credit at all? No. Zero. They only saw their dear leader who was starving them to death and taking their children away and putting them in labor camps and in their military. That dear leader. Just like what we have here, right? Long live the king who we just had to drag out of the baggage, who's going to lead us into the hands of our enemies, who's going to throw darts at the future king of Israel, who's going to basically go crazy. Long live the king. I mean, we need our hand held in this way too, right? We readily notice, I think, the abomination of the North Korean people who will worship this dictator or the short-sightedness of the Hebrew people as they forget their God to his face and they proclaim a man who they just had to drag out of hiding. But we, too, often do not recognize the same sin in our own lives. We do the same thing. We hold the Lord's hand while we walk away from him, requiring him to hold us up because we can't even draw breath without him. I mean, it's the reason that our Lord Jesus deserves our praise more than we can ever imagine, more than we can ever dream he deserves our praise because the depth of our sin and our desperate clinging 
to false gods is completely abhorrent. Yet he loves us and he cares for us and he does not abandon us. Even while we were yet looking for other kings to worship, he died for us. And so that brings us to the next point, a despised king. And so that, look at verse 27. Here you have these worthless fellows, but some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him, and they brought him no present. That's not the Christmas spirit. They brought him no present. Well, these worthless fellows, Samuel's going to passes out the duties of the kingdom. They'll, this is basically the law that governs how Saul's going to do his thing as the king. He offers that up before the Lord. You kind of have this good vibe in the camp going on. Everyone's headed back to their homes. And then we have this addition, these worthless men. The Hebrew says the sons of Belial. We've used this term before, right, in uh, talking about Eli's sons. These sons of Belial, sons of Satan, simply what's that saying in their question? How can this man save us? Maybe they listened to uh, some previous sermons and they realized that they should be looking to Jesus instead of this king in order to find their salvation. Maybe that's what it is, right? Were they not called worthless or sons of Satan? That may be true, but instead, what's their issue? What's their issue? Well, no matter what happens, they're going to hate it, right? We all understand this feeling. We all know someone like this. We all are at this way. Some, all right, we all act this way sometimes. That no matter what happens, it's going to be bad, and we're going to hate it. Note that they do not bring tribute either. They don't bring any money to the king, which is an important thing, particularly seeing that this is Israel's first king, and they have no income. They haven't taxed the people yet or anything like that, so there's no income. A government needs income to run, and so these first tributes would have been very important for the king to start up his uh, monarchy. And so these people brought no tribute. They bring nothing. They offer no investment into the monarchy of Saul. Why? Because he is no good. And when I read this, it reminded me of our own, the, our, the, our own world, our own hearts sometimes, definitely the heart of the unbeliever, the way that... We despise our Lord Jesus. I think it's particularly with Christmas, the fact that Jesus came to the earth as a baby boy, was placed in a feeding trough, was born to two poor folks. I mean, can you imagine seeing the baby Jesus and thinking, Savior of the world? Well, it happened. We read from Luke 2. Turn with me to Luke 2. I think that's one of the neat things reading through the Gospels is to see the different reactions to Jesus, this carpenter. But you have, he is very polarizing. And so here in Luke 2, look at, starting at verse, uh, we read some of this already. And so look at verse 15. So here are the shepherds, they hear the angels, and here, here's their response. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went with haste, or and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds, or what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What did the shepherds do when they saw the baby being born to these two poor folks, laying in a manger? They praised the Lord. This is the God of salvation. Look at verses 25 through 32 of this same chapter. Joseph and Mary, as is the Hebrew custom, take him to the temple to be circumcised. And starting at verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came to the Spirit or he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the, the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The baby Jesus, he holds up and he says, this is the salvation that is from God. Incredible. But did everybody see Jesus that way? Turn to chapter 6 with me. This is before the baby Jesus could really do anything, right? This is when he was still requiring being fed and having his diaper changed and like couldn't walk or do anything. And he was declared Savior by so many people. Well, what about after he, prepared, after he did miracles? What about after he healed the sick and rose the dead? Look at Luke 6, starting at verse 6. On another Sabbath, when he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and the man there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Can you imagine seeing that? Guy with a withered hand. Put your hand in your coat, bring it back out, it's brand new. Not a parlor trick. But what was their reaction? They were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Why? What's the deal? He just healed a man's hand. He recreated his hand. Who can do that? God incarnate can do that. Who else? Nobody else. And what was their response? 
Let's kill him. We should. Rem- I think we should again remember that the Lord changes the heart. We give the message. Samuel delivered the message of the Lord, and he appointed a king. But there were still some who wouldn't accept it. Jesus came as a baby. Some saw the baby and believed. But others saw him heal people and do incredible things, and yet would not believe. Their lack of belief, brothers and sisters, does not change our message. And so let's make sure we understand that. The Lord changes the heart of men, even though there will always be some that are furious that the Lord is their Savior and only the only one capable of saving them. And I think in turn we should watch our own hearts as we have a tendency to slip into this worthless men and women category very quickly when things aren't going our way. One day we'll give our time and our talent and our all to the work of the church and the ministry of Jesus Christ, and then the next day because something or someone has hurt us, we won't give it a second thought because the church all of a sudden is a burden to us. We despise it. It's incapable of, Jesus Christ is incapable of saving us because we are fickle people. And so we have to be careful and we have to guard our hearts because even in those times of struggle and despair, Jesus Christ is our Savior. And that's a message for the lost world because this time of year, why do people feel sad? They're missing their family. They're missing their loved ones. They don't have anyone that loves them. They're bitter about the world. They're bitter that no one cares to give them anything. They're bitter that everyone seems so happy and joyous and the world is a desperate, dark place. And our message to them is, yes, it is. But Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And he has come and he brings with him light. And so in conclusion, our Lord is not one who hid from his responsibilities. And aren't we thankful? He went boldly to the cross to save an other king-loving people just like ourselves. And so in response, what should we do? Let's remember that. We're getting ready to come to the table of our Lord. He set this before us that we might remember what he's done for us. Let us walk with Jesus in such a way as to lean on him. To lean on him is for the sanctification of our souls, not and not venture anywhere else, particularly our own works, anything else that might make us holy or seemingly make us holy. And then let us remember that he has delivered us even while we were yet sinners. What a glorious message to take to the lost world this Christmas season, that he has, that he has loved us and cared for us even while we were the reason the world is a dark and desperate place. He loves us and he cares for us anyway. So let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are not a king who ran, who hid, but you met sin and death face to face. You nailed the sin to the cross. 
defeated death by raising from the dead, so that we might be holy, so that we might have life everlasting. And so, Lord, help us to remember the things that you have done for us. And, Lord, in that, help us to share that message with the law. Such a great time of year to do that, to show them that there is light in this world, and that light is Jesus Christ. Help us to shine that light and not hide it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.